Now, our Bible reading this morning is continuing our series in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 22, 34 through to 46, and Stephen is going to come and read that for us this morning. When the Pharisees heard that he'd silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Then, surrounded by the Pharisees, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They replied, he's the son of David. Jesus responded, then why does David, speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit, call the Messiah my Lord? For David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? No one could answer him. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Now, if you do have your Bible there, please do turn back to Matthew chapter 22 as we look at this uh, last part of this chapter this morning. Now, last week, if you were here at church, you would remember that in the passage we read from Matthew's gospel, that the religious leaders are determined to trip Jesus up, not physically, but they want to trip him up in something that he says that they're able to arrest him. And so we saw last week, firstly, the Pharisees coming to test Jesus. And then that same day, we see the Sadducees coming to test Jesus. And the whole purpose of them doing so is because they want rid of Jesus. They just want rid of him. Now, as we know, this is the last week of Jesus' life. By Friday, they will succeed. That's the reality. But these Pharisees and the Sadducees, they want to arrest Jesus and they want to do away with him. And so they're not interested in the truth that Jesus proclaims. And they're not indeed interested in anything, really, that Jesus says. All they see are that crowds are following Jesus, that this is threatening their power, and so they want to do away with Jesus. Just do away with him. Now, in the passage that we read today, we see the Pharisees having another go at Jesus before Jesus then turns the tables on them. Because after seeing the Sadducees fail with their question about the resurrection that we looked at last week, the Pharisees are back again to have another go. So we've had the Pharisees having a go at Jesus, then the Sadducees, now it's back to the Pharisees once more. And they come to Jesus, and an expert in the law tries to trap Jesus. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? 
Now, what we need to know here is that the Pharisees were obsessed by the law. They were obsessed by the law. Sometimes when we think of the law, we think, well, Ten Commandments, there's the law. But when the Pharisees thought of the law, they were thinking of the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And altogether, in the first five books of the Bible, as we've been looking at with the children, there were 613 commandments given by God to Moses. That's a lot of commands, isn't it? 365 negative commands, i.e., these are the things you shouldn't do, and 248 positive commands. These are the things you should be doing. And not being content with that, the Pharisees added their own laws, and then they tried to put them in, in different categories. And so the Pharisees were just obsessed by the law. As Jesus says, in the next chapter that we'll look at in Matthew 23, God willing, he says that the Pharisees strained their water so they won't accidentally swallow a gnat. They're obsessed, absolutely obsessed. But the problem was, because they were so fixated on the law and making sure they were doing the right thing, they often forgot why they were doing what they were doing and what was the purpose behind it. They were just keeping the law for the purpose of keeping the law. They'd lost sight of the purpose of the law, which was to live in a way which was honoring to God. Now, if you were faced with the question that the Pharisees gave to Jesus, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses, I wonder what commandment you would have gone for. Which of the 613 would you have plumped for? Perhaps you would have gone for one of the Ten Commandments because, well, they're the best known. You know, you shall have no other gods before me. Maybe that's what you would go for, the first commandment. But that's not what Jesus says is the most important commandment. And indeed, it's interesting that while Jesus does go for a commandment, or rather two, it's two commandments that embody a principle. Did you notice that? And that principle is love, is love. Jesus quotes firstly from Deuteronomy chapter 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then from Leviticus chapter 19, love your neighbor as yourself. And then in verse 40, Jesus explains why he has chosen these two commandments. He says the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments, i.e., they encapsulate the law. Now, if you're here this morning, that's a relief, is it not? I don't have to think about 613. I can think of two. We can all remember two, can't we? I can't remember 613, but I can remember two. Now, what's also important this morning to recognize is that the law is not just an arbitrary set of rules. This is not just God saying, look, I'm just going to tell you to do this because, you know, you're just going to have to do it. You know, sometimes we do that with our children, don't we? You know, why are you doing what you do? Well, but just because I've told you, that's it. But the law is not arbitrary. 
The law is an expression of the character of God, because who is God? Well, God is love, isn't He? We're told that in 1 John chapter 4. God is love. And what God demands can never be detached from who He is. And so, all we need to see is, is the law embodies the character of God. Now, for many of us here today, we may know this passage in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 22, so well, and Jesus' teaching here so well that we may lose the sight of the profoundness of it, and also how difficult it is. Because when you step back and you think, goodness, I've only got two commandments to remember, not 613, you think, well, that's fine, you know, love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I can just about get my head around that. But when you take a step back from it, do you understand how difficult that is? It's very difficult. You see, we might just skim over this passage and think to ourselves, well, of course, Jesus would speak about love, and then we'd just pass over it. But the fact is, if this is the most important commandment, to love God and to love our neighbor, when you take a step back, that's really hard isn't it? It's really difficult. Who truly can do it perfectly? If you're here this morning and you think you can do that, you're mistaken because you cannot. Because to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind is an impossible and humanly unreasonable demand when you think about it. Because who truly loves God all the time? And who truly loves their neighbor, especially when Jesus is taught elsewhere that our neighbor can be someone that we really dislike and is our enemy, thinking of the story of the Good Samaritan. Charles Price, famous preacher, says this, it means that everything upon which our heart is set, everything which we, with which our soul is preoccupied, and everything that interests and captivates our mind will express love for God. The reality is that our hearts, souls, and minds give more evidence of selfishness and indifference than love. That's the reality. Now, in some ways, that might end up depressing us, because how can we live up to this if it's impossible? Well, as Jesus often does in His teaching. He presents what God requires in such a way that inevitably brings us to despair. It brings us to our knees. Who can do this? Who can do it? Because the reality is we cannot do it through our own efforts. And so Jesus is trying to bring the Pharisees to a realization that the law in and of itself cannot save them because they cannot keep it perfectly. And adherence to the law without love is not really keeping the spirit of the law either. If God is love and Jesus is God, then it makes sense that Jesus is the one who shows love. For us as humans who are not God, we have to recognize that love is a fruit of the Spirit. 
It doesn't happen by working harder or being more determined. And when we believe in Jesus for our salvation, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we show love for God and love for our neighbor. But unless we're driven to an honest despair of our own ability and learn to rest in the sufficiency of God alone, we can never fulfill the demands of the law. Which brings us to the second part of the passage. You see, you might have looked at these two parts of the passage this morning and say, well, how are these two things related? You know, the Pharisees have come to Jesus. Jesus has given them an answer and said, you know, love the Lord your God with your heart, your mind, and your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. But then Jesus asks them a question. How are these two linked together? Why does Jesus challenge the Pharisees with what he does? What's the link between love and then moving on to the Messiah? Well, if you remember the whole thrust of Matthew's gospel, and indeed all the gospels, they're really posing a question, aren't they? What do you think about the Messiah? What do you think about the Messiah? And more than that, what do you think about Jesus? That's really what the gospels are asking. They're all asking this. Who is the Messiah? What do you think about Jesus? Because that's the key question. And that's the question that Jesus here poses to the Pharisees. And it comes with a qualifier. What do you think about the Messiah? And in the qualifier, whose son is he? Now, the Pharisees come up with the standard answer. Well, he is the son of David. And of course, everyone knew that. Everyone in Israel would have known that, that the Messiah who was coming was a son of David. We've just had if you remember the triumphal entry. Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. And what are the people declaring as they wave their palm branches in the air? Hosanna to the Son of David. But then Jesus brings up Psalm 110. And he says this, How can the Messiah be the Son of David if David, under the inspiration of the Spirit, called the Messiah Lord? In other words, the fact that David, in Psalm 110, calls the Messiah Lord shows that the Messiah must be greater than David is. Usually the Father would be seen as greater than the Son, but in Psalm 110, this is clearly not the case. And Jesus is pointing this out. Since David called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his Son? Now, in many ways, this is a rhetorical question. I don't think Jesus is expecting an answer from the Pharisees, and he certainly doesn't get an answer anyway, does he? Because it says right at the end of our passage, no one could answer him, and no one dared to ask him any more questions. You see, what we have to realize is that the barrage of questions from the Pharisees and Sadducees have been sparked by them taking offense at Jesus being called the son of David. Because when the crowd shout, Hosanna to the son of David, back in Matthew 21, what are we told in that passage? That the religious leaders are indignant. That's why they start trying to trap Jesus. 
and trying to arrest him. Because who is this man that's coming in? He's riding on this donkey. He's making this proclamation that he is the Messiah. And people are proclaiming that he is the son of David. We want rid of him. They're offended that Jesus would be called the son of David, the Messiah. But after their questioning, Jesus, pointing out what David says in Psalm 110, is trying to get the Pharisees and the religious leaders to think, to think about who he truly is. He's basically saying to the Pharisees here, am I the Messiah? What do you think about me? So today, again, we see the religious leaders trying out of ill motive to trap Jesus. But they're unable. And as we saw last week, whenever Jesus is posed with a, with a question, his answers simply astound and amaze. They completely backfire on the Pharisees and the Sadducees because the crowd who they're trying to turn against Jesus actually are just amazed by him. Because Jesus is no ordinary man. He is the Son of God. Now in this passage this morning, Jesus shows that the greatest commandment is to love. To love God and to love our neighbor. Because the reality is that we cannot keep the law perfectly. And to try to keep the law, the law robotically without love isn't really keeping the essence of the law, which is meant to reveal the character of God to us. But the fact is, if we cannot keep the law perfectly, if we realize that at every moment we are not loving God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, that drives us to despair, but it shouldn't drive us to depression. Why? Because it's linked to what Jesus says next. He's saying, look, you cannot do this in your own strength, but who am I? I am the Messiah. I am the one who has come into the world. I am the one who has come to pay for your sin, to fulfill the requirements of the law, to do the thing that you're not able to do. He's basically saying to the Pharisees, I am the Messiah. Trust in me. That's what he is saying. You see, if we can't keep the law perfectly, it shows we need a Messiah. We need someone who is the son of David and who is greater than the son of David. We need Jesus. And when we trust in Jesus, when we repent and put our faith in him, well, John's gospel says that we are born again and the Holy Spirit dwells in us and we become people of love as God has called us to be. That's something quite amazing, isn't it? Because the fact is, before you're a Christian, you can't show love to God because you're not in His will. But when you recognize you cannot earn your way with God, that you're fully reliant upon Jesus, then you put your faith and trust in Jesus and something amazing happens. You're born again. You are made new. Jesus comes within us through His Holy Spirit. And what's one of the fruits of the Spirit? 
is love. That's amazing, isn't it? So when we come into the family of God, when we're changed by His Spirit, we begin to show the character of God. Now that ought to encourage us this morning. Because salvation with God is not about working harder. It's not trying to fulfill the law and running and running and keeping going and keeping going. It's just going to wear us out. We can't do it. It's when you come to the end of yourself and you say, God, I can't do this. I can't fulfill your law. Well, God says to you, well, that's okay. Because my son has fulfilled the law. And when you trust in him, then you're covered by his righteousness and you're made new. You're a new creation. And you're filled by the Spirit and you show love. So what about you today? Are you still striving like the Pharisees were, trying to earn your way with God? but being blind to who Jesus is? You see, there's no point, is there, coming to church, trying to be a good person, if you don't understand who Jesus is, if you don't understand what the cross is all about. Let's stop striving. Let's trust in Jesus. You see, it's when we bow the knee before Jesus, when we recognize Him as the Messiah, the Son of God, that we're changed, that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and we become the people of love that God has called us to be, following in the footsteps of a God who is love itself. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. Lord God, as we look at this passage this morning and we see these two distinct parts, perhaps we might not immediately make the connection between them. But Lord God, we see how Jesus tells the Pharisees what the greatest commandment is, to love you, Lord God, and to love our neighbor. But Lord God, as we take a step back, we see that that is almost impossible, that we cannot do that in our own strength. And even the Pharisees could not do that in their own strength. And that's where we see the second part of this passage. Because Jesus asks the Pharisees about the Messiah. Because the reality is that the Pharisees needed a Messiah. They needed a Savior. And Lord God, as we come before you this morning, we need a Messiah. We need a Savior. And we thank you that we have a Messiah, that we have a Savior in the Lord Jesus. Because when we believe and trust in him, the one who is the sinless Savior, the one who has fulfilled all the requirements of the law, we recognize that we are clothed with his righteousness so that we can come into your very presence that we are changed, that we are made new, we are a new creation. And Lord God, as we are changed, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and we're able to show the love that you have called us to show. So, Lord God, we ask that you might speak to us through your word today. And that, Lord God, if we come this morning and we're trusting in ourselves for our salvation, that we're just trying to be a a good person, Father, help us to take a step back, to put our faith in Jesus, to bow the knee before him, and to be changed, and changed for the good, and changed forever, and to know life in all its fullness, life everlasting. So, Lord God, speak to us. Through your word today we pray, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.